This is from 1 John 4:18 through 21. There is no fear in love, John says, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Amen, dear saints, you may be seated. So there's, you know that every human being really wants to be secure. It could be argued that our entire life, our existence is spent looking for a safe place, a refuge, a haven, a place where we are secure. And that's a good thing. We are created in the image of God. There's nothing unusual or wrong about that. That's natural. That's normal. That's what should be expected. And of course, everyone at heart really wants love because, again, we're created in the image of God and God is love. So even fallen and unregenerate people want love. They just don't know that it's in Christ. So God provides us security and love. But we sinners, because we are understandably petrified of the holy and righteous just God, who we know is perfect and we know we're sinners, because of this, we don't look to him for security and love. And instead, we tend to look in all the wrong places for security and love before the Holy Spirit sovereignly regenerates us as per his previous election and predestination of us, whereby then we are adopted into the church, we're justified, and we begin to understand that God really is love and that we can be and should be secure in his perfect and holy love. Now today we're going to comprehend from one of the Bible's clearest texts on the subject, of security in love, how born-again Christian church members are endowed with the very best of everything in Jesus Christ, as per 1 Corinthians 3:21 through 23, and to possess by divine grace and wonderful, amazing, sovereign mercy, unfeigned security or assurance of God's love, is truly the closest thing there is to heaven on earth. In fact, the Puritans would say it is heaven on earth, and rightly so. To know that you're secure and loved in Jesus Christ is a beautiful thing. And all of you who are faithful in the covenant of the faithful church should have that assurance, no matter how much you struggle with your continued sin issues, You are entitled to that. We're going to be looking at that today. Therefore, let's make it our goal this Lord's Day to be totally secure in Christ as God's loved and forgiven church. We're looking at these wonderful verses, 1 John 4, 18 through 21. The title of the sermon is Secure Love. You know you have a doctrine uh, uh, outline there to work with. The doctrine is this. 
Lovers of Christ and his church have every right to be absolutely assured of God's undying affection. Now notice this isn't perfect people or people that don't sin or people that are extra religious or do all kinds of religious activities or do asceticism or beat themselves up or think they're better than others or holier than thou. It doesn't apply to any of those, but it does apply to people who have a genuine love for Christ and his church. Now, it's not perfect, and of course we're growing in that. And that is the goal of the Christian life, is to grow into it as we're conformed into the image of Jesus. Now, this doctrine that you have on your outline is an important theological fact, but do you realize, in fact, that as you are in Christ, and if you are a faithful member of his faithful yet still sinful church, where nothing is totally perfect, in ourselves, certainly it is in our Savior, you're a member of that visible church, you have a duty and a responsibility to know and believe and begin to feel the assurance and security of God's absolute undying love for you. And you are to know that nothing can separate you from that love, as per Romans 8, 31 through 35, that famous section. Nothing, not discouragement, not the world, not sin, not Satan, not angels, not troubles, not hardships, not persecutions, not death, not hell, not Satan, anything. Nothing can separate you from that love. Let us now revel in the fact that lovers of Christ and his church have every right to be absolutely assured of God's undying affection. First, this is because God has first loved us. Now, this teaching must always be the initial one in this glorious divine equation. Only as we recognize our complete, total, absolute, and utter depravity as sinners fallen in Adam, conceived in sin under the wrath, righteous wrath and judgment of God, only as we grasp that and God's sovereign prerogative in electing and predestinating whom he would because he loved them for no reason in themselves but simply because of his sovereign will and privilege and pleasure and prerogative, only when those things are true are we able to appreciate biblically and really God's love for us. You know, when those things aren't true, it's never 100% sure. This is why only Christians who are taught and come to appreciate the total depravity of the heart and the unconditional election of their dead soul by a sovereign God can or ever will truly love God the way he should be loved in this life. Did you know that? A lot of times we Reformed or Calvinist Christians are criticized for all kinds of slanderous reasons, none of which are true. And yet the reality is that only those who actually accept the gospel in its fullness, including the fact that God is sovereign and does things the way he will do, can actually love God very well anyway in this life or in the one to come. On top of that, we are the only people in this world who ever really understand the incredible nature of this unspeakably glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Everyone else, 
may get dribbles of it at best, or none at all of it at worst. Indeed. Lovers of Christ and his church have every right to be absolutely assured of God's undying affection. This is because God has first loved us and his love has imperviously sealed us in the Holy Spirit. Now, imperviously means it cannot be penetrated or affected. So this is an absolutely watertight, airtight, spiritual seal that cannot be undone. This glorious truth is taught throughout the letter of 1 John and throughout the rest of the Holy Bible itself, Old and New Testament. The sealing of the Holy Spirit, which happens at our regeneration, when the Holy Spirit sovereignly comes upon our dead soul, and which is sacramentally exemplified perfectly in our water baptisms in church, guarantees forever our inability to ever be lost again or to ever come under the judgment and condemnation of our now forgiven sins that have been borne by Jesus Christ on the cross. His atonement achieved with his blood, the blood of the God-man, the Son of God himself. We still sin to be sure, there's no question about that, But we have a reservoir, a well of forgiveness and grace in the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who is fed to us every Sunday in the church that is faithful, in the word preached and in the sacrament, especially of the Lord's Supper. We get to feed on him, not just once, but throughout the rest of our lives. This well of cleansing, this assurance of Christ's redemption of us, Our regeneration or atonement in Christ is never reapplied. This is one of the reasons we reject the Pope's doctrine of the Mass, which allegedly re-crucifies and re-sacrifices Christ every time a Mass takes place. We reject that. The atonement is never reapplied. It only happens once. The book of Hebrews drives this point home over and over. Christ died once for all for the elect, the church, And yet, it is reconfirmed. The atonement has to be reconfirmed to us. And actually, if you look at the church's two legitimate sacraments, which is baptism and the Lord's Supper, we notice that they are ideal analogs of this truth. Baptism is applied once, just once. And it is as per regeneration. And the Lord's Supper is celebrated often because we need to be reminded constantly that God really does love us and he hasn't thrown us off because we continue to sin and struggle and have a hard time in this life. And so the the analogies of the two sacraments fit perfectly, but that's only in a faithful church. This isn't for Lone Ranger religious people who thinks they can sit on a Bible with their, their Christ and their scriptures and think they have it all together, which they don't. The Holy Spirit is active in all of this as he signs and seals us in the blood resurrection and the person of the glorious God-man, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's look at these amazing verses, 18 through 21, 1 John 4, and observe together three glorious results of secure love. And by the way, Elder Craig did a nice job reading those verses. Do you realize that 
He read four verses today for our scripture lesson, and the word love is found ten times in those four verses. Plus, this whole chapter has just been full of love. We've been told twice that God is love. And so this apostle of love, bringing the gospel of love and the person of love to the community of love, is a great, wonderful love feast. What good would our being secure in Christ be if it didn't bring God glory? And frankly, us good as well. Would it be any really good? No, I don't think so. Therefore, let us get right into an investigation of three glorious results of secure love. First, we now have no dread, D-R-E-A-D, dread of condemnation. Verse 18, look at this verse. Check this verse out. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now this has got to be one of the most amazing benefits of the true Christian church life. Namely, that we do not now anymore live under the reality and threat of damnation, wrath, curse, and judgment. We used to. This is not an illusion. This isn't a falsehood. This is reality for many people, but not now for us who are in Christ Jesus, secured in his church covenant family, baptized and loving Christ and each other. Observe that verse 18 again. The fear John is talking about here is the fear of judgment. Now think about this with me, and maybe think about your own life for a moment. Did any of us ever really fear judgment before our divinely granted conversions to Jesus Christ? I suspect not, but I am reticent to make an absolute Assertion there, perhaps some people did. Maybe some people did by the grace of the Holy Spirit. But typically, did any of us really fear punishment or wrath or judgment when we were walking in sin and darkness and following the spirit of the age and doing like everybody else does and just walking in pollution and perversion? Probably not. Now, if my theory is correct, that that probably isn't the case, at least not with most people, then why do we faithful church members now need to be encouraged and exhorted by the Apostle John and, more importantly, the Holy Spirit, not to fear, quote, punishment? Why does he go out of the way to say, you are not to fear punishment? Is it not perhaps because now, as regenerated Christians whose eyes are open, who can see the truth about the world and reality and ourselves, now we understand that we are sinners, even still, as the old nature continues to cling to us, and that because of this and the remnants of that old flesh, we still fear punishment, And then we've got the world and Satan piling on as Satan is the accuser of the brethren as per Revelation 12.10. So now we have all these forces going after us who now should not fear any punishment, and yet we do. Ironically, the world 
which should legitimately fear judgment, the judgment day, hell, damnation, typically does not. And we, the only ones who actually have cause not to fear judgment, wrath, curse, and damnation, are tempted to. Isn't that interesting? Now, all this is true, but there is a grander truth that rules over all of it, and that is that Jesus' blood has fully remitted all our sins, the iniquities of the redeemed. And because of this, the judgment due us has already been expended on the one on the cross, the one who could bear it, the God-man, the righteous substitute, the one, only one who could actually take it for us, bear it for us, and then give us his righteousness and apply to us also by imputation as perfect righteousness of obedience to the law. This is what we call the gospel. This is good news. This is why we come back. Praise God for his inexpressible grace and mercy. Three glorious results of secure love. We now have no dread of condemnation. And... We now understand that our justification has nothing to do with anything we do or did. Verse 19. I think this is the first time in the history of outlines that the outline point may be longer than the verse. <laughs> Let's look at verse 19. We love because he, God, first loved us. Now this point in this text is extremely key to our being secure in God's love. We love because he first loved us. He also said that several other times earlier in 1 John chapter 4 at verses 10 and 19. And here we have this wonderful, well, verse 19. He said it earlier in verse 10. You know, any and all people who think they had anything to do with their alleged righteous standing before God are not only not secure, they cannot be secure. It's impossible for them to be secure. And there are a lot of Christians, not just Roman Catholics either, lots of Protestants who think they had something to do with their righteous standing before God. Well, I'll guarantee you, not one of them is secure. Or if they are, it's a false security. They can never be secure. And this is because they're still under condemnation. If, if, now I know there's a lot of confusion, I want to be clear here. If they truly believe, especially if they understand the true gospel and despite it, they still believe that they had anything at all to do with their hoped-for but illusory salvation. You know, true Christians in the faithful church really do love God, but this is entirely because he first loved us. Everything good in the world is a direct result of God being good to us, his church, in the world. And through us, he brokers any other goodness and grace, common grace too, to the world around us. Anyone who imagines that he or she took the first steps toward the Lord is either ignorant of Christ's gospel and or is blasphemously proud. 
God takes all the initiative in salvation as in every other good thing. And our responsibility is simply to passively receive this grace by faith. And only those who are regenerated will ever do this. And frankly, only those who in God's secret, providential, sovereign election and predestination ever get regenerated. But that still doesn't get anyone off the hook. The gospel is still available for everyone. The problem is the will. Our responsibility is to receive it in the person and work of Christ, plus nothing, including no works of ours. Our works apply zero in justification. None whatsoever. When the Holy Scripture teaches us that we love because God first loved us, this has more to do than with just love. Love being the goal of our bond to God in Christ envelops everything from election and predestination to justification, adoption, sanctification, and glorification, and every other good thing God does in the hearts of the church and its individual members. All this is done in the person of love, Jesus Christ our Lord. Three glorious results of secure love. We now have no dread of condemnation. We now understand that our justification has nothing to do with anything we do or did. And finally, we now comprehend why covenant church life love is indispensable, verses 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So the bottom line situation here in these last two verses is simply this, and it's been the consistent heartbeat of First John, is that John keeps saying, love God and each other in the church, and they always go together. Those persons who indeed do sincerely love God also necessarily do and sincerely love the members of his church, even though we're all sinners and still struggling along. As I mentioned, John keeps saying this over and over, so he has a real strong point he wants to make. He really wants this to come home to us. Now, why is it important that he does this? Well, for a number of reasons, of course, but perhaps none more than for the glory of God shining in this fallen world so as to provide the best type of evangelism of the lost and dead people in the world. You know that the very best type of evangelism are Christians who love God and love one another. John 13.35 is quoted or mentioned last week, and it's here again. This is the way it should and must be done. Now, If you've been here over the years, you know that you've heard from me many times from this pulpit what I'm about ready to say, but this text requires me to say it yet again. There is no such thing as a Christian life separated from Christ and his church, which too can never be parted. There is no such thing. It's an illusion. It's a sub-religion. And the authentic Christian life lived in the community of the covenant of the true church ends up in time, and be encouraged by this because this is really important, it ends up in time revealing 
eventually, the regenerate people and exposing and expelling the fakes and hypocrites and phonies and proud people that come to divide the church and create trouble for it. Faithful churches with gospel preaching and good order, well-ministered, well-run under the Holy Spirit's grace, have that wonderful effect of embracing God's true people and encouraging them despite their struggles as long as they continue to come back and hear this gospel. And yet those who, who are full of themselves and, and air and sin and heresy and Satan, they, they went out. And that's what happens. The Apostle John was dealing with this very dynamic in this letter in the first century A.D. as he was rooting out and destroying the Gnostics of his day. And we need to continue doing the same thing today by loving each other loving each other in the church, all for the honor of glory of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as always, dears, let's do some more application this morning and understand why regenerate churchmen should feel secure while everyone else should not. Now, this security and love business is actually a double-edged sword because What is good for the atoned-for church, the forgiven people, is not good for those who are currently under wrath and condemnation and damnation of God. But having said that, there is always hope for them, just like there was for us when we were under the wrath and condemnation of God too. When we walked in the spirit of the age, in the ways of, of evil and wickedness, But nonetheless, it is unequivocally true and noble that we hold to what we are now insisting on, namely, why regenerate churchmen should feel secure while everyone else should not. And just pastorally, let me make this comment. I want you to grow in that security. And I've told you probably hundreds of times how that must be done. But it can be done as long as you continue to sincerely love God and want to be in his presence as the covenant people of God, Lord's Day to Lord's Day. As long as you call into this pastorate in the future years a faithful minister who will bring that gospel to you as well. And other churches all over the world as well. Well, let's consider why regenerate churchmen should feel secure Well, everyone else should not. First, because love is only found in Jesus Christ. Now, if love is only found in Jesus Christ, and we know that it is and must be, because he is the revealed expression of the fullness of the Godhead, Hebrews 1.3a, whose very nature is love, i.e. God is love, then this means that every rational creature, human and or angelic, who is separated from Christ, and in the case of humans, from his redemption and his covenant, is a stranger to true love. Dears, do you realize what that means? This means that there are a lot of people in the world who simply do not know anything about and who have no experience of real love, true love.
authentic love. And the way the true church reveals this love to poor sinners, according to the Apostle John, and more importantly, the Holy Spirit, is through our ecclesiastical and covenantal love for each other. And therefore, in this new year, I want to encourage you to continue to do what you are doing right now, loving each other well. But continue to be vigilant and diligent and watchful and careful in so doing. Never take anything for granted. Never trust yourself. Never let down your guard. Never quit pressing the envelope in your Christ-like growth in grace and the knowledge of Him. Continue to advance wherever you are on the continuum of Christ-likeness. Advance. Lord's Day to Lord's Day. Farther on. Move on. As we do that and move out together, we'll continue to conquer all the world. Nothing will be able to stand as it never has been able to stand against us. We are already overcomers and conquerors of it, and we will continue to be so. But we must, wherever we are on this continuum, press on in this glorious love for each other. And as we do that, we will glorify God, we will benefit ourselves, and we will reach the world for Christ in the, in the only way God gives the church to do it. You know, oftentimes I think about the first two, three, four centuries after Christ's resurrection. The New Covenant Church Age. And I wonder, how did those Christians, under such persecution, especially in the first 310 years or so, do what they did? How did they overturn the world's biggest, baddest, brutalist empire? How did they do it? Did they do it through a lot of programs? Did they do it through a lot of, of uh, activities? Did they do it through a lot of extras? They didn't even have an evening service. You know, I'm not against evening services. I still like them, and COVID kind of knocked them out. But you know what? They didn't even have those. They did it through one day a week, meeting for an hour or so, very early on Sunday mornings, all over the Roman Empire, simply hearing gospel sermons eating Jesus Christ's flesh spiritually in his blood, drinking it, and praying. And then as they bumped into each other, as they were slaves, most of them, in the Roman Empire, they encouraged each other throughout the week. Overturned the entire Roman Empire. See, religion is, we just have too much time on our hands. It's not that complicated. What you're doing here is so important. Honorable love is honest. And because of this, we state the truth concerning the issue of why regenerate churchmen should feel secure. And you should. And, and I have compassion for you if you don't. I don't want you to add to your struggles if you're still struggling with security, okay? As long as you're faithful, it'll come. It will come. And if you need a little help, we'll certainly give it to you. I know I will. I know our elders will. Our deacons will. 
and our mature members will. We'll help you, absolutely. And only those who are in Christ have any of their sins forgiven. I bet you some of you already filled that in. Do some of you ever fill in your outlines before you get... Ah, see a smile back there. I was just wondering about that. You see the line? It's like, it's got to be sins. Well, it is. Sins, sins, this is a biggie. First of all, dears, look at this again. Only those who are in Christ have their, any of their sins for, any of their sins forgiven. First of all, I wonder, do we all agree with that doctrinal statement? Do we? Okay, I'll give you a few seconds to think about that. Do you agree with that? Do you believe that only those who are in Christ have any of their sins forgiven? Little caveat, this doesn't mean that people who are not under the privilege of a gracious, gospel, visible, covenant, faithful church might not be in this position. I'm sure there are some. But they cannot be given the security, the assurance, because they cannot hear that absolution, because they're not under that discipline of that church. So that's how important your baptism and your covenant is. Let me say this, if for any reason any of us do not agree with this statement, that only those in Christ have their sins forgiven, then one of two things is true in theological language. One is either we are, as most religious people, most evangelical people, we're just relativists. Oh, they do it one way, we do it another way, God doesn't really care, there's no real objective truth. It just doesn't matter. So we're just relativists. Well, we say that only those who are in Christ have their sins forgiven, but other people think their sins are forgiven. So we're just relativists at best. Or at worst, we're universalists, which believe that everybody has their sins forgiven. And both of those options are bad. If you have to go with one of them, relativism is, is the lesser of the two evils, but both of them, are really bad. And depending on the level of our theological understanding, and I grant that in the general church culture in the world, that's very low, but that isn't true here. Given the level of our understanding, depending on it, if we believe that, we may not be regenerate at all. But, of course, we have much better hopes for all of us. Sins are forgiven... They are forgiven through Jesus Christ's blood atonement rendered on his bloody cross. The benefits of the atonement are applied by the Holy Spirit in regeneration, new birth, which is in line of the election and predestination that God did of his elect church and each individual member before the creation of the world. The Holy Spirit regenerates. And the experience of the atonement, forgiveness of sins, is had via God-given faith in Christ, which is still a gift of his, the reality of which gets mostly and most importantly expressed in love for God and his church, and through the church, the world, as we reach it. Beloved, secure love is the best and only love, really. In Christ, let us bless our Heavenly Father for his secure love of us. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for secure love. When we read verses like that, 
There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We're reminded that we have no cause for fearing punishment. The full, complete wrath of God against our sins was unleashed upon the innocent, sinless, perfect substitute, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, for us. And because of this, despite the world, our conscience, the flesh, Satan, all the forces arrayed against us, none of them can conquer us. We have complete, secure love in you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for this. We praise you for your procurement of it for us in your cross and resurrection. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.